Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, John Powers. Thanks so much for joining Experts Only. If you haven't had a chance, make sure to check out Clean Capital's latest announcement with our investment from Manulife. You can go to cleancapital.com and, and learn more about how to partner with us. Uh, but today's interview is with uh, Block Power. It's really, this really came from an interesting way. I got um, tagged in a tweet uh, following an amazing Washington Post article on Block Power's CEO, Danelle Baird. They are doing incredible work. And today I'm actually talking uh, with Colin Kasunik, who is the head of finance for Block Power. We're going to talk about both the company, his background, really, and how they're helping to address not just energy efficiency and climate change, but climate justice in a very unique way. I hope you enjoy. Colin, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only. Hey, thank you, John. Great to be here. So you grew up in New York City. What got you interested in in finance first? Or was it finance or was it energy? Like, What was your first path there? Uh, so it's actually funny that you mentioned it. I grew up just a couple blocks from Wall Street uh, when I was in New York City, but um, it was not finance that was the first thing that brought me into it. My parents were in the arts. And so sort of got into it through uh, an environmental lens and uh, sort of a, an innovation lens and, and seeing that this is something that the world needed, right, to try to do right. something with climate change and, uh, and technology around that. And so... Um, uh, this was sort of in my mind as as I was actually finishing up uh, business school. I'm a geographer originally, studied urban planning and geography, and uh, after and that sort of fits in as well, like urban issues, uh, issues of energy usage and, and land use. But uh, after finishing college, I really wanted to get involved with uh, MBA. I wanted to get involved with a, a startup in the clean tech space hmm. and uh, wound up just walking into an incubator in New York City at the at the Acre Incubator. Oh, yeah. And I, I really got one introduction to one person, but we hit it off and we built a uh, wind energy analysis system. Oh, I sort of brought my, um, my uh, software and uh, geography background and he brought some business and, and finance background. And uh, we built this company that was called uh, um, Wind Analytics, where the word at the time was, hey, we want to do these backyard wind turbines, right? This was, solar was so much more expensive. And it's like, hey, backyard wind turbines can be a real thing. They still can, right? Yeah. But um, with solar so cheap, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a harder uh, um, competition right now. But anyway, you couldn't install a backyard wind turbine without doing some, uh, some analysis, right? right? And so people were putting up these monitoring towers and spending a year or two and to put in something that's going to cost you $100,000 or even a million dollars to do a one or two year monitoring campaign, you just don't have the time and money for that. So we right. actually built this system in partnership with a bunch of wind experts to, um, to figure out what the wind energy was like at a given location remotely, right? With remote data. Yeah. And so actually kind of interesting, it's sort of the same kind of thing that Block Power does, right? Where, where I'm working now with, with buildings for energy efficiency opportunities. But anyway, we realized we built this system to, to sort of do this analysis. Everyone said we really want this analysis, but when push came to shove, they didn't really want the analysis. Some of the 
existing players in the market. They just wanted to be able to put their thumb on the scale a little bit and say, oh yeah, your wind is great, buy a turbine. Right. And so we said, hey, for, for us to be successful, for anyone to be successful with these, the truth needs to be out there for the wind data, but maybe we need to control the, the process, right? Maybe we need to be part of the sale. And so this was probably 2011 and Solar City was, was starting to hit it big. And so we said, hey, let's let's adopt the solar city, sunrun, longevity kind of model. And that's where I really got into the financing, right? I it, in an right. MBA, I never thought I would get into it. I said, if I can get through finance, I'll I'll be doing great. I'm all about the innovation and the strategy and, and whatever else. But um, it really turns out that this is where we can make a really big impact here Huge in climate great. tech. And and so that's what we're doing. So anyway, we flipped United Wind into um, we flipped wind analytics into United Wind to do wind turbine leasing. And, uh, and that ran uh, very successfully for a while, even after I left for a few years, you know, a few years after I left. And um, I wound up doing other things in the, in the financing world for this, really trying to say, hey, how can we take these energy technologies and get them more adopted, right? Yeah. How can we use financing to increase the adoption of these technologies that, that we all need? And so uh, wound up working with, with wind, of course, solar of various different stripes, biodiesel, biofuels with wood, uh, energy efficiency, um, both on the single family and the multifamily slash commercial side, uh, like at Block Power now. Yeah, it seems like so, all, yeah. you've got a pretty holistic view of the market after touching all those different technologies. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, generally on the, on the distributed side, less uh, on the utility side, but right. certainly with some of the wind and solar, so, some more of that. But, um, you know, I think the distributed side is is where, I don't know how to put it, where there's maybe more opportunity to use financing to, to change things, right? Where, that's how we where, view to clean capital. I mean, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's our market, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, we call it the middle market. Yeah. Um, so when you, you know, what, first of all, how did you get introduced to the Block Power team? Uh, I got introduced to the Block Power team through another person who I worked on financing projects with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Guy uh, named uh, Sid Singh. And so um, he connected me. And then I knew Block Power from around the way because I always stayed involved with the, uh, the Acre Incubator, the clean tech incubator there. And actually really enjoyed talking with all the different startups over the time. Um, did Block up- been out of Acre? I didn't really uh, Block was in Acre at, yeah. at, at an early stage. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see a case study of all the, because you, you hear about Acre all the time for folks that are in the New York clean energy space. Um, yep. It really was a, a, a great hub for activity. So, yeah. Had a, had a really nice office too. It was a yeah. great place to work as a startup from other startups, you know, to be able oh, to go good. in there. Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, so tell me about, well, Let's just step back from the personal side, which I think is, is interesting. And I want to come back more to that. But let's talk about Block Power for, for a second. Yeah. For folks that don't know, you know, Block Power is not only an interesting company, it's got a fascinating story with, with uh, your founder and CEO. So tell a little bit about that history and, you know, how uh, Block Power came to be. Sure. So um, Danelle is our CEO, African-American, right? Spent time growing up in, in Brownsville in Brooklyn. and. Um, I should you know, know, by the way, this podcast happened because of a Washington Post story that you guys posted on Twitter and someone tagged that we should have have you guys on experts only. And literally, I was reading the Washington Post. <laughs> like, these guys are fascinating. They've worked for Great. Me. They're interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, so Danelle has quite a story. And, and you know, I encourage all of you guys to read this, this Washington Post story because it really gets into some interesting things about... Um, 
about why we really need to not focus just on climate change, but climate change for every uh, yeah. climate change mitigation and, and climate justice for everybody. So, you know, Donnell was living at some point in Brownsville, Brooklyn, very poor part of Brooklyn, and and um, you know managed to work his way into uh, into a couple of good schools. Managed to later join uh, the uh, the Obama campaign, and um, in some of that's in some of its early stages, and uh, and sort get into the Department of Energy to do building energy efficiency after that, right? And he had a, a strong interest in in um, bringing uh, decarbonization, right, and efficiency, and not just the energy efficiency, but the, the comfort efficiency and the health efficiency to all of these inner city buildings, right? And so in doing this, he, he founded, right, he went to business school and got the concept, said, look, I'm going to found block power with a whole bunch of his uh, business school colleagues and some other folks. And, and they did this. They got a DOE grant to launch this whole thing and, um, and really have been working ever since on, on how can we fight uh, the, these climate change issues in these inner city buildings? How can we green these buildings that are a huge part of the carbon emissions of the country and yet are overlooked so often because uh, maybe the credit of the building owner is not great, or the location is just, it's a lower income location or a community of color that just gets overlooked. Um, yeah, let, let, let me, let's dive yeah. in there a little bit. So this, mm-hmm. this step back for the audience, it, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, obviously generation out here, transportation, we don't dive as deep into buildings, but buildings, 40% of our carbon footprint comes from buildings. Is that right? Something of that nature? Yeah. It's a huge yep. part American. of it. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the US, mm-hmm. right. So to really address climate change, uh, driving down that impact is is critical, and and the work you guys are doing really. What I love about it, it's a marriage of that aspect with um, really not just the finance and efficiency piece, but the just the climate justice piece yeah. as, as well. But like, take us through a case study of like, okay, so how does Block Power approach a you know, uh, is it a would, would you guys be working with sort of a residential commercial building in in a community and go in? Sure. Yeah, walk us through the steps. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we really are kind of working in in a, a, a bit of a white space, right? Because 40% of emissions are buildings. And of those buildings, a, a large portion of them are overlooked because they're mid-sized buildings, right? In, right? in areas that are often overlooked. And those are the buildings that we really focus in most on, right? There's a lot of folks that work with single family. We can handle some of that. There's a lot of folks that work with commercial like offices and, and retail. We can handle that, right? We do that. But what we really... What we really focus on, what's really core, are these mid-sized buildings, the sort of multifamily four to four-unit buildings to maybe a hundred-unit buildings, something in there, um, and and these are everywhere, right? And they're hard to tackle because they have some of the problem, they have some of the challenges that the big buildings have, and some of the challenges that the small buildings have, right? But we've built a whole software so that we can analyze these buildings, and so. So we can sort of figure out from the beginning, where is there a good opportunity? And then how do we tackle that opportunity? What's the scope? So you ask, for example, we'll look at maybe a a 20 unit building, right? And the first step will be, okay, gather information about the building. We've got a web funnel tool where people can go in onto our website. If you have a building, you can put this in yourself onto our website and you just start to enter uh, some high level information about your building. How big is it? How many square feet? Uh, how many floors, what type of construction, what age, all these things. 
And so that information will come in. And even if we're talking to someone one-on-one, we'll be asking the same questions or we'll just for convenience say, hey, go to our website. Let's walk through this together. Is that data being answered like by a facility manager or like, you know, usually the, because those, those things can be owned by a variety of people, right? They can be. Yeah, right? it can be a property manager. It can be a super, it can be the owner themselves, right? A lot of the folks we work with are direct owners and managers. This is their, right. this is their job. Right, they might own, and in New York City, you might have a, a family that over the over the years has bought, you know, three ten-unit buildings. Right? right, and so for a New York City landlord, that's they're not they're not a huge landlord, but for for anyone, that's that's a solid solid investment, and that's a real asset that they have. That's their family asset that they'll work on. Right, sure, yeah. And so these are these are the kind of folks that we might work with, and so well, well, they, the they also may not have access to. Like the capital requirements needed to do a huge absolutely effort, right yeah absolutely yeah so they might not have access to all the capital that the larger players would and also all the information right they're focused on running their business and running their operations there's not an energy manager who's thinking right. about these issues right. right so we have to come in and we have to we have to provide a balanced picture of what's happening at the building what they can do to save money and to increase comfort and really improve their building as a whole, right? Because we, we look at the building holistically, we gather all of this information, we might recommend HVAC upgrades, we might recommend um, insulation upgrades, we might also contribute uh, and, and help them work through uh, an asbestos or a lead paint remediation or something like this, right? So anyway, we'll gather all of this information, we have the first call and the information that we take, we put into a preliminary needs assessment study, again, some software that we've built that really allows us to take the building information that we have, apply it against a whole database of other buildings, and then with that, come up with some recommendations for the building. So then we'll say, okay, here are the items we recommend. Very often, we'll recommend uh, moving to an air source heat pump, which is a, a clean, efficient, high efficiency uh, electrical system for heating and cooling. And we'll recommend some insulation, some air sealing, some LED light retrofits. Uh, these are the sort of the, the basics that we may see in a lot of cases. Yeah. And then from there, we'll we'll talk with them about what's the value, what do you want to do, what can we do, and we try to provide a turnkey solution for building owners this way, right? And um, and then we will walk them through the whole process. We have a financing product that's 15 years, so we can stretch out the payments so that they can pay as they save. And we have uh, engineers on staff who can help. Uh, build things, and and we have construction expertise that we tap into to get the projects built as well. And we try to hold the hand through the whole thing. And then associated with the financing, which I really think of more as a subscription, we take care of all the systems for them. We fix them if they break. We answer questions for them. And we really try to make this a sort of like a a heating as a service, energy efficiency as a service opportunity for building owners. Do you guys consider yourself sort of like a, a small ESCO? From that perspective, yes, yeah. Um, we don't, as you might think of with other escos that, that might say, "Hey, we'll do a shared savings model." We don't dive into shared savings, principally because for the buildings we work with, it's it's a big level of complexity that they don't want to deal with. Nor do we, and maybe even more importantly, behavior is a very hard thing to work with, right. especially in multifamily buildings. Right? If someone gets a new system, they decide they want to keep the heat on at eighty in the winter and sixty in the summer for the air conditioner, it's, it's hard for us to say, oh yes, you just saved a lot of money because, you know, it's, it's that's their choice though, to yeah. how they use the system. So, so the, the building owner, 
is motivated to do this because they are bringing significant upgrades to their facilities. Um, and you guys then really are both financing and, and in essence, sort of own, almost privatizing their utility. Yeah. For lack of a better. Yeah. I, we don't take over their entire utility bill, but that's something that other companies, yeah. um, you know, in the single family space have done. And it's something that, that potentially we could do as we roll out more and make it a whole full utility service. But what we are doing is giving them a managed solution for all of this. Uh, and, okay. and we're, you know, the reason people upgrade is cost savings comfort for the folks that live in the property that resonates a bit more with the the condo and co-op folks but then also because it's an upgrade right we're we're as our ceo will say very often right we're turning buildings into teslas right yeah. we're we're bringing the whole thing we're electrifying it we're giving you a higher quality building right and easier it's easier to rent it's all rolled in it's easier yeah. to rent that's yeah. right and um, by the way it's the yeah, same reason a lot of the the larger owners are doing it too, right? There's mm -hmm. a, there's a demand now for those type of, uh, those type of locations. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a piece of capital equipment too. It's something that folks need in their building, right? So right. you could get a, you know, another dirty oil boiler or a, a dirty natural gas boiler. And what do you get from that? You know, maybe you're, you're using some of what you had before, but you're just getting more of the same. You're not getting the same quality of heat. You're not getting the same control to use it within. And ultimately, you need to replace that at some point. So right. Right? you might as well replace it with, with something that's better, especially if we can give you uh, an even cost of payment, right? Which is what right, we try totally. to do. We try to make it so that your spend before, right? Your utility bills plus O&M plus whatever you had to fix that thing is the same as what we're going to charge you. And then maybe we can save you even a bunch of money on top. And how long are those sort of contracts? Because like, I mean, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of different technologies, right? HVAC, you're yeah. More so, you know, the yep. life of those technologies may differ significantly. So, are there? Do you guys have like a standard length of contract that you're signing? With because you? HVAC is the big cost, um, we use a 15-year contract, right. uh, pretty standard. We've extended some contracts longer, um, and, and I assume uh, that rule. Yeah. So, if, if I if I sell that building that contract yep. sort of rolls over with the yeah 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 we have two options you can either roll the contract over or you can buy it out generally when a building is sold right there's some extra cash being transferred yeah. and you can simply buy it out and then the next building owner prices that into the, the purchase price and then are you guys as you finance these are you doing them off book and then sort of securitizing them and rolling them out to the market or how are you guys sort of approaching the the actual financing itself do you have sort of lines of credit you're pulling on We've got some multi-draw credit facilities, right? So not revolvers, but multi-draw facilities where, so it's not like a credit card, right? But it's it's a facility where we have, say, uh, $5 million in one and a $50 million commitment in another where we can go and build projects. And then once the project is, in one case, uh, completed, then we can fund back down a bunch of that as debt. Yeah. You can almost and then in another case, pull them from the, the other location. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. We're we're kind of at this point we're kind of self warehousing for that one. But the other larger facility we have will actually fund through construction, and that's great because then we can just build and put the projects in as we as we get them set up. That's incredible. And I'm gonna get back <laughs> to the investment piece in a second. But geographically, yeah. where are you are you mostly focused in New York now? Or are you? I know you guys have 
but a thousand buildings. Is that right? I mean, you guys got a pretty large yeah. Now. Yeah, we've done a lot of buildings. Not all of them are under this financing program. Our financing program is relatively new. Uh, but what we've done on all of the other program uh, on all of the other buildings is fundamentally the same thing that we that we've uh, that we're doing in the financing. It's working with building owners, helping them develop scopes, helping them get it built, and then seeing that they get it financed. The only difference now is we actually have that financing in-house. And so geographically though, we are in New York City and the New York City metro area. Uh, and throughout New York State, we're very strong. Uh, DC as well is another place. And then- You guys have Buffalo, yeah? So. Uh, and then Oakland. Buffalo is actually a great community for us. Uh, right. I, and I'll tell you why, because uh, the, the HVAC retrofits that we put in these air source heat pumps, they run on electric, right? Right, right. And so this Big is not the, here. yeah, this is not the electric that people may be familiar with where it's an old electric resistance heating system. This is like a, an air conditioner that can run both ways and it can work in very cold climates, right? Buffalo, actually, I came to learn recently is not that cold. It no. just gets a bunch of snow. And, but anyway, these systems run in very cold climates, even colder than that. Um, and so, but they run on electricity still. So if you're paying a little bit for electricity, we can have sort of a, a spark spread here between, well, maybe you're paying more for your natural gas and now you're paying very little for electricity yeah. because it's coming from hydro like you'd have up by Buffalo. So uh, that's, a, that's a great place for us. So in, as you guys are looking, as you guys are scaling, do you have sort of a, a series of off-the-shelf technology? Like you know you're going to use this HVAC, you know you're going to use Nest and whatever the the, you know, thermometers are like, uh, you know, do you have a pretty, I imagine a pretty sophisticated engineering team because you're not putting, yeah. mostly not putting, uh, I like to comment, you're turning buildings into Teslas, but you're using technologies that are proven, right? That's you right. Know you can yeah. Finance them. yeah. I mean, all of our, all of our heat pump technologies, right? We, we haven't standardized on one manufacturer now. And to the extent that we're working with distributors, we, we won't, but for the projects that we're originating, we may at some point. But these are all large multinational manufacturers like Mitsubishi, Fujitsu, Daikin, right. um, some other uh, other. Um, uh, are you doing any storage and solar? Uh, you know, electrification is something that that is really uh, the direction that we're going. Yeah. Where storage, solar, even car charging stations, these are things that we'll be rolling into the solution uh, increasingly. And I think we uh, yeah, we figured out some ways to roll solar in under the same financing program so that we can utilize the tax credits. Oh, that's amazing. So going back to the financing side for a second, yeah. you know, as you guys have ramped up and you, you know, the business model is is not just proving but but thriving now, you know, where where do you sort of see the next um, the next capital come from? Are you seeing more and more sophisticated ESG investing wanted to come in here, or is this infrastructure folks? Is this private equity? Like who's who's really interested in you know what you guys are are putting out? Well, I'll mention one thing that is interesting: the public as a whole seems to be very interested in what we're doing. We ran a crowdfunding campaign recently that uh, we gave ourselves about two months to do it. We finished it in just over one month. I you know we set a million dollar cap for ourselves, and um, and we. You know, we we achieved that early. There's a lot of interest out there, just from from folks, and you know, we encourage we encourage you, all. You guys of looked this. at Fundrise at all? You know, um, we have not jumped on Fundrise. Fundrise they, do, they don't do what you guys do. They do yeah. real estate through crowdfunding, and they are that's one. That's why I've heard their name. Okay, they do amazing work. We we really looked at them early from Clean Capital's perspective, and I mean, I, I'm a personal investor in Fundrise, but they've done a great yeah. job of, and they have 
you know, a significant amount of capital. Yeah. So um, to, to put this in context, um, you know, we, we may do more in this direction. We're really just evaluating options. And um, we used we used Raise Green for the platform uh, thus far. Oh, yeah. um, we may uh, continue to use them for some or all if we do any more. And um, and Republic is another good one that we uh, that, that we look at that has a very um, engaged and also large um, community. And so these would be options if, if we if we go to another one. Um, but I say this because that's a that's definitely a direction. And there are offerings that are not just the crowd regulation CF that goes up to five million, but there's regulation A and A plus offerings that go up to 25 million or 100 million. So you know, for for the standpoint of a company trying to tackle not just a, a climate problem, but also a climate and social problem. I think that's something that's that's very relevant for us. No, super. Um, and then I'll say, besides that, we're also working on what we're calling our green loan. Um, we we initially thought of it as a green bond, but really, um, it's a matter of semantics. It's a loan that that gives us a bit more flexibility, and it would be for projects. And we're talking to some large Fortune 500 companies, uh, particularly Fortune 500 tech companies that are socially engaged, and it is their um, sort of ESG departments that are. That are driving some of this, but it's also we're going to, you know, we're planning to give them um, real returns, right? Real returns on their investment. It's not a donation. It's a it's right. a real investment to have us put these projects out there and for have their capital, you know, have their capital go to work, and we can give them associated with that carbon credits or even um, environmental justice credits for you know, act- activities in certain communities. So with um the new administration that came in this year, obviously mm-hmm. a lot of the issues that you and I care about uh, in our day yes. jobs, both on the uh, on addressing climate change, new technologies coming from Department of Energy, uh, real money into uh, solutions around climate justice. It seems like you guys are primed to really uh, accelerate here going yep. forward. Like, what, is, what do you think the next couple of years uh, look like for Block Power? Yeah. Um, well, a, a couple things here. First of all, we are very engaged with the federal government and uh, all of the programs there in regards to uh, financing, in regards to support uh, for energy efficiency and energy efficiency in disadvantaged communities. So, um, you know, the whole administration and all the folks we've been working with there have been have been great, and I think this is a a great direction for us and a great direction for uh, the country as a whole. Um, as far as the company and, and block power, I mean, we see block power being a, a nationwide electrification brand, right? A nationwide energy efficiency brand that could be similar to, uh, what Sunrun or solar city was in, in, um, Sunrun is solar city was in solar where we can come in and solve this problem for building owners. Right. So Right now, I mentioned some of the geographic focus as we expand, as we go through distributor networks, and as we go through direct sales networks, we believe this is, uh, this is a direction that we can go, right? And it's, uh, when I say electrification as well, this is, this is sort of the big push, right? You can, you can put in an efficient natural gas system, but it's always going to be a fossil fuel system, right? You can green the grid, though, and then your electricity is green and your grid may not be fully green right now, 
but it can be green. Your fossil fuel boiler in your property will never be fully green. It's just not going to happen. So there's sort of this, this upwelling of, hey, we need to electrify everything. We need to figure out efficient ways to electrify everything. And so it's getting such that I mentioned solar and storage for block power, but also um, even appliances like uh, induction cooktops, right, for stoves instead of natural gas uh, heaters, right? Sorry, natural gas stovetops. And induction stoves have performance qualities similar to natural gas. They're not like old electric. Uh, appliances. So we're sort of going in this in this whole direction. It's amazing. It's such an exciting time for, I think, the work you guys are doing. If you want to learn more about Block Power, you can go to their website, which is blockpower.io. Colin, so I could ask you a million more questions. This is super interesting to me. I do want to ask you one, one final question. And if you could go to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. coming, out of, uh, coming out of college and uh, uh, especially the geography degree, you could sit down and say, you know, give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? Well, it, it would be, you know, there's there's something that I realized, and and this comes even from the worlds of arts. It's something that I sort of think of as like the creative valley of death, right? Like you get into something that you maybe find you have some talent for, and and a lot of and and you enjoy doing it, and doing things that you have a talent for generally is enjoyable. Right. But then you get into it and you realize, hey, a lot of other people have this talent. Right. A lot of other people can do these kinds of things that I can do. And maybe they have, you know, a, a background that's different or better or stronger in some way. And you start to evaluate yourself based on the folks who have been doing this for a while, who are very good. And you start to realize how not good you are sometimes and how <laughs> not good you can be. Right. Right. And like, a, like with a writer, right? if you're starting writing, you realize, wow, there's so many great writers out there. But this is, this is what I call sort of this creative valley of death, where if at this point, after you have some talent, after you start working, you start to say, oh, there's so many better people than me, I'm going to stop, then you really lose out on a lot of things, right? So, you know, I, I, would, I would encourage myself, my younger self, to not stop, to stick with the thing that if I have a talent in it and I enjoy it, to stick with it and to work through the awkward silences, the mistakes, the bad speeches, the, the mistakes, <laughs> whatever <laughs> issues there are, and to keep rolling and get to a point where maybe you can start teaching other people things. And then at that point, you know, then that's where, that's where a transfer occurs. And I yeah. think a lot of people quit things just before they succeed. And so I would just say that, you know, there's a time to cut your losses, but don't quit just before you succeed. Really try to <laughs> stick with it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I appreciate it. And you know, thank you so much for joining us at Experts Only. Thank you so much, John. I want to thank the team at Block Power for helping mm. to, to put this together and thank uh, our producers, Colin Young and, and Carly Batten. As always, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Uh, if you really care about uh, climate justice and some of the work that's being done, you know, make sure to fo- follow Block Power closely. It's really impressive work. And uh, it's going to be really monumental over the next decade. So uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.